light. Pierce the darkness with your word. Help us to see you in the words we are about to hear. Once again, listen for God's special word to you this morning. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And, that, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue, language? Parthians, and in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness. And the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our epistle reading today is from the uh, letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 22 to 27. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our salvation. Pentecost is difficult, and I wonder if that's why we sometimes, at least in our Reformed tradition, gloss over it quickly on this one Sunday a year that doesn't get much airtime. Christmas is easy. God sends us a baby. Easter is easy. Jesus arose from the grave to conquer death. The other big liturgical holidays are easier because we can hand all the work over to God, but not Pentecost. That's when stuff gets real for the believers, and we're actually asked to get off our pews and do something. And that got me wondering the other day, If on that first uh, filling of the Holy Spirit, if the disciples felt the flames. Think about it. It says that the fire rested on them, and I would think that if they were actually burned by it, that would have been noted in the passage. But if they felt the wind, and they heard the wind, I bet they felt the heat from the flames, too. Like when you're warming up by the campfire or the fireplace and you realize that you accidentally got just a little bit too close and you suddenly realize that it's pretty uncomfortable to be sitting that close to the fire. Just close your eyes and imagine with me for a moment. The disciples were gathered together in a place just like we finally are again now. They were probably talking or praying. Each could hear the voices of their dear friends, perhaps saying things that they predicted their dear friends would say because they knew them so well. But then suddenly, rushing wind, wind just whipping all around, grabbing their hair, tossing it all over the place, rustling curtains and papers, kicking up dust into their faces. And then the fire, fire from out of nowhere, sitting right on top of them, not burning, but hot. The orange-red heat of the flames lighting up their faces, heat flushing their cheeks. They would have had to squint to keep the dust from the wind and the bright heat from the flames out of their eyes. And then they started preaching, not just one of them, all of them, not just in Greek, the common language of the time, not just in Hebrew, their ancestral and religious language, not just in Aramaic, the common language that the Hebrew people would have spoken at home most of the time. They spoke in the languages of all the people around them who had come to Jerusalem for the celebrations. How weird it must have been to hear a best friend sitting right next to you preaching in a language neither of you actually knew. 
All those difficult names that the lay readers dread every year in this Pentecost passage that Mark nailed, by the way, well done, friend. Those are the names of people and places all over. The whole point of that list of names is not that we need to know exactly who the disciples preached to that day, but that it was basically everyone. The author of Acts is just naming what sounds like the whole world to him. Pentecost speaks to the fact that the church is meant to be diverse. And while this absolutely means the things we usually think of when we hear the word diversity, race, gender, age, socioeconomic status, etc., it also means the things that we often take for granted as being part of diversity, things that tend to describe congregations more than individuals. Things like worship style, number of members, mission focus, type or age of building, longevity of that particular faith community, the day of the week and the time of the day that they gather for worship. Now the whirlwind and the heat were necessary for the disciples to get where they needed to be to spread the gospel. I'm sure it probably felt in the moment like they were going to die or maybe be swept up into heaven to meet Jesus who had recently ascended or who knows what. But this was the beginning of their new and exciting life of mission and ministry. A mission and ministry that looked nothing else looked like nothing else they would have associated with mission and ministry before that moment. We are feeling the heat right now in so many ways, and it's pretty uncomfortable. For almost a year and a half, we've been hearing phrases like back to normal as some sort of dream come true that we're striving toward. But now that we're getting back to normal, I know I'm not alone in thinking that it feels really weird As much as I hate preaching to just the camera, it's also a little weird to be back in the sanctuary with live people again. It's hard to remember how to interact with groups of people, how to do things like make small talk and ask about the weather. Even the extroverts among us are feeling pretty tired after a day of interacting with people these days. It's a big adjustment. And I know that on top of that, many of you are still feeling surprised or confused or even hurt by my resignation announcement last week. I was also surprised by it, and I hope that that helps to soften it a little bit. I didn't foresee God dropping a change like that in any of our lives at this seemingly odd and delicate time. So it's okay to be upset with me or mad at God about this. It's okay to feel a little bit of grief, even. Although I know that God has something great prepared for me to do with the Foundation of Hope ministering to the residents of the Allegheny County Jail, I'm still trying to make sense of the timing, too. So I'm really glad that the lectionary includes this passage from Romans 8 today as a compliment to that classic Pentecost text. 
And being a mom, I love how it compares this sort of Holy Spirit change to childbirth. Because childbirth, and I'd like to add adoption here, being both a biological and adoptive parent, it varies wildly from mother to mother and baby to baby, from family to family and child to child. My oldest biological child, Alexis, was my longest labor and the most difficult, as well as being a few weeks early and a little complicated. Perhaps all a foreshadowing of what parenting her was going to be like, complicated, and rarely how I expected it to go. My second came screeching into the world quickly, and when I say screeching, I mean literally screeching for the first two years of her life, but it was a quick on-time and textbook delivery. How very Gloria. Our adopted son, Brandon, basically just showed up on our porch one day as a homeless teenager. Talk about unexpected. And little Levi was born so early, and it happened so fast, we all struggled to remember it even happening. He was three months early, and oh so tiny, and I just kept saying, it's too soon, he can't come yet. Levi was only two pounds, nine ounces when he was born, but he was strong. He was ready for it. The pediatrician said that sometimes when there's trouble in a pregnancy, the baby's body grows and prepares for an early birth faster than they would have if all went according to plan. He was 12 weeks early and only needed to stay in the hospital for seven of those 12 weeks when we'd been told to expect him to be there until roughly his due date. He was little, but he was ready. He was tiny, and he needed appropriate medical help to get stable enough to strike out into the big wide world, but he was more ready than anyone anticipated. Romans 8 tells us that ultimately hope is what gets us through. That doesn't mean that it all turns out like we'd expect it. I doubt there's a parent in the world with kids who are exactly what they expected when the child was entering their lives. I know mine are far different than I ever expected. And yet when I look at them, there is no shadow of doubt in my mind that they are exactly the weird and wonderful family I always wanted. One of the types of community diversity that we tend to take for granted is the timing and the way the story goes. We forget the groaning and we forget that we don't always get to choose the perfect timing for things. And we forget that there is no one way that it's done. And it's in that heat. It's in the groaning. It's in the hard times that the spirit can get the most done in us. Especially when it comes to personal or community growth. A friend sent me a text last week that said, If it excites you and scares you at the same time, it probably means you should do it. Healthy fear of a new season is appropriate. Venturing into the unknown can really make you feel the heat. It's a natural feeling. It's okay to name it and to own it. It's healthy to name it and to own it. But also, don't let that fear cloud the excitement of imagination and of hope. This is a prime season to trust the people that have already started to walk alongside the elders to start looking for someone to lead you through the next season. It's a great time to imagine and hope and dream what that person will be like and the new things that they will help you do. 
the growth and the imagination and the cool things that have happened these years since I came here aren't because of me. They are because you were willing to do some scary but exciting things and to work through with courage and get excited about them. This congregation took on some scary but exciting new ways of being church and doing life together, and a sort of Pentecost happened, a new birth and life. This is another stage in that journey. Pastors come and go. That's the nature of this system. Vanishingly rare are the times when a pastor walks with a church for 20 or 30 years, and that's okay. The church isn't a building. The church isn't a particular leader. The church is a community of people who choose to live life and do ministry together. And you all are great at together. You're so great at together that you figured out how to be together with another congregation, too. I know that you're ready for whatever is next. I don't know what that is or why that's now, but I do know that you can do this together. Amen.